You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Oh no, here comes that young man in again today, the one with perineal pain and voiding symptoms. He's not responded to my antibiotics and to sitz baths. How am I going to handle him today? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, your host. And with me today is Dr. Jeanette Potts from the Glickman Neurological Institute at the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio. And we are discussing the approach uh, to treating patients with chronic pelvic pain syndrome or chronic abacterial prostatitis. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Potts. I'm glad to be here. The scenario that I mentioned, I think, is well known to many uh, primary care doctors, and I imagine also to you as a tertiary care urologist. When we've ruled out infectious etiologies and other specific etiologies, how can we help these uh, young men? Well, with the thorough history and a very thorough examination, and by thorough examination, I mean really palpating deeply into the abdomen, testing the inguinal ring, checking for trigger points along the adductor muscles, palpating the perineum. I prefer to do my examination of the prostate with the patient in a lithotomy position because I actually examine everything before I get to the prostate gland. And by everything, I mean the obturator and interni muscles, the levator ani muscles, the coccyx, go up to Alcox Canal, I check the anterior levator muscle group, and finally the prostate gland. And when I do this exam, even though it takes many patients by surprise, um, they do feel that it's the most thorough examination they've ever had, even from, you know, compared to neurology. It's very rewarding also to reproduce some of the discomfort when you are palpating a region that's not near the prostate gland or it's not the prostate gland. And that's a, a very valuable point of education for the patient. And I imagine also uh, really strengthens the relationship. Gosh, I've, I've really had a, a complete exam. I can really believe uh, what this doctor is telling me. Uh, she's certainly not he or she's not missing anything. Exactly. And again, that goes a long way. And it's surprising to know how many patients with this diagnosis do not have very thorough genital or pelvic floor examinations, and many times their prostates are not even examined, and I know that's very surprising. The other thing, too, to bear in mind is that any man in whom you palpate the prostate, there's going to be a little bit of discomfort and sensitivity associated with it, so it should not be the justification for antibiotics. That, in my opinion, is not a justification for antibiotic, nor does it support the diagnosis of an infectious disease. There needs to be more there than just the normal sensitivity and discomfort of a prostate exam. Yes, yes. And, you know, and we all have patients like this. You know, they bend over. We're checking their exam just because it's a routine prostate check or their PSA may be elevated and we want to examine the, the gland. And, you know, some of them will be like, whoa. <laughs> mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. But we never would consider giving them antibiotics because they didn't come in with pain. But the poor guy, the younger guy, you know, as soon as he says that, sometimes we're already calculating, you know, the... How much Cipro we're going to give them. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so I I just ask people to take pause and and not do that as, as, you know, kind of break that habit. In the treatment realm, you know, we could use anti-inflammatory medications, and again, with great precaution to the GI tract. What doses and how long would you prescribe non-steroidals? Well, I'm a big proponent of like Mm -hmm. old-fashioned, cheap drugs. So I use a lot of ibuprofen and I use 400 to 600 milligrams three times a day with meals and skipping 
the dose when meals are skipped. And I do tell patients to take it on a schedule, not as a pain reliever, but rather as an anti-inflammatory therapy for a minimum of two weeks. And I do this especially with patients who are about to engage in a physical therapy program because I want them to welcome some of the discomfort associated and yet be able to tolerate some of the manipulation and the trigger point release therapy. So I find a dual purpose for for the anti-inflammatory in that setting. In some patients, I may initiate an alpha-blocking agent, although I have to stress again, I'm more of a physical therapy, self-care prescriber than I am of any medication. But when I do, I do consider alpha-blocking agents. And interestingly, the alpha-blocking agents don't necessarily affect voiding symptoms or or have a predictive value in, in terms of patients with more LOTS or lower urinary tract symptoms and improvement in their flow rates and such. It's, it's an interesting phenomenon. Some patients with very few lower urinary tract symptoms may have improvement of their pain symptoms with the medication, and one of the explanations for that may be central nervous system action of the drug and lowering substance P. In substance P actually, if it's abnormally high, lowers your pain threshold. So there may be some other neurosensory effect that the alpha blocker has that we're not yet fully understanding. Is there a role for more traditional muscle relaxers? Yes, like Valium. I do stay away from that, however, but if I do use it, I would use it at a low dose, like two milligrams, three times a day, and um, maybe only for a month period. But I would use that as a bridge for, again, the self-care regimen, you know, Mm -hmm. to get the skeletal muscle to relax. In a few patients who have post-ejaculatory pain or ejaculatory pain dysorgasmia, these men may benefit from the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory an hour ahead of time or a little bit of Valium also. I don't have any data to support this, and it's very hard to study men's pelvic floor tension before sex, with orgasm, after orgasm, but one of my hypotheses is that the men who have this condition are more likely to have a higher muscle tension post-ejaculatory and will not come back to baseline as quickly as the men who have normal pleasurable orgasms. And I think of this as like an orgasm being a pleasurable spasm, whereas the dysorgasmic patient um, is having more of a charley horse. Mm-hmm. I'm borrowing that from one of the co-authors of Headache in the Pelvis by Anderson and Wise. We talked about this once, and he said, well, I think then you're talking about your pleasurable spasm, and I guess on the other side of the spectrum you'd have a charley horse. So sadly, that gets often attributed to infection, but many of those patients, once infection is ruled out, many of those patients respond very nicely to uh, relaxation techniques and and, uh, pelvic floor rehabilitation. You are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and I'm speaking with Dr. Jeanette Potts from the Glickman Urological Institute at the Cleveland Clinic, and we are discussing treatment approaches to chronic pelvic pain syndrome, otherwise known as chronic abacterial prostatitis. So those are some pharmacologic options. Can you tell us more about the uh, behavioral or self-care options you've been referring to? Yes. What I think is really lovely about this, and oh, and I do want to clarify something. You had said earlier that I'm a tertiary care urologist. I'm actually a family practitioner who has been working um, as a urologist for 13 years at the Cleveland Clinic at a tertiary care center. So I am a family practitioner and very proud of it. What I find so wonderful about this self-care regimen is that it's very empowering 
And as a family practitioner, it's very rewarding to prescribe something to treat a specific organ system or region of the body and have patients return with the benefits that they've described, which are outside of the pelvic floor or urological system. Things like, you know, their headaches being relieved, their bowel symptoms improving, their sleep improving, all because of the self-care regimen, which involves the physical therapy and also incorporates biofeedback and uh, relaxation techniques. So that's uh, extra uh, icing on the cake, I guess, that when patients do learn these techniques and are able to do them, it often gives them relief in other arenas of their health. And I imagine maybe uh, confidence outside of uh, health care and their medical uh, conditions. Yes, and this is extremely important. I think it's important to get patients outside of their victimization role. Many patients feel victimized by this condition. Um, many of them begin to catastrophize, which is a huge psychological burden. And when I was discussing the overlapping syndromes of like the functional somatic syndromes, I do play this back to the patient. You know, after I get this assessment done, I want them to know who they are, but I don't want them to feel that they have a bad destiny or a negative fate because they have this kind of susceptibility. But instead, I want them to recognize who they are and embrace themselves and then from there be able to take better care of themselves. And I think that that's part of the marketing to achieve good compliance for this care because it's not simple. It's not a medication. It's not a surgical procedure. It's a daily commitment to be conscientious of posture, to exercise properly, to put time aside to meditate and make the muscles quiet. And again, a patient is not going to do that if in five minutes you tell them, well, this is your condition and I'm going to refer you to a physical therapist. They're they're just not going to do it. So they have to understand who they are. And I also tell patients that it's like an Achilles heel. Everyone has one. You know, you're not the only one, but everyone has one. Everyone has one in a different part of the body, and people will, you know, manifest some of their emotional or physical stress in different parts of the body. And our job is to maintain it and keep it healthy. You know, you're not going to be upset if you're a famous basketball player with a bad ankle. You're going to just take extra care to warm up and wrap it up. And so that's, in a sense, what I'm asking you to do, and I'm equipping you with the tools to take better care of this part of your body. Excellent. And and are there specifics that healthcare professionals should know about these tools that you are utilizing and giving to the patients? Yes, the, it, we use myofascial trigger point therapy. That's basically, you know, lengthening the muscle and alleviating the tension through the taut bands or the knots that are often palpable in these patients. There's steel massage, which is something that was developed by a colorectal surgeon in the late 50s, early 60s, who had levator anti syndrome. And interestingly, he called this phenomena TV syndrome because it was after the introduction of many televisions in the home that he began to see people with these pelvic floor problems, and he developed this massage technique. And so the technique's been refined since, and there are many practitioners now who incorporate this type of technique for releasing the myofascia uh, trigger points. Very interesting. And we should look for physical therapists who have expertise in working in the pelvic floor with men or women. Is that correct? Yes, yes, because sometimes it is hard to find people who um, who are already doing this with men, but gynecology, I think, has been you know way ahead of the game in, in treating women with pelvic floor dysfunction and using the the expertise of the physical therapist. And I would love to make a plug for the physical therapists. They're, they're amazing. They're 
very sensitive with their fingers, and they do literally heal people by touching them. I want to thank Dr. Jeanette Potts, who's been our guest, as we've been discussing the treatment of chronic abacterial prostatitis, or chronic pelvic pain syndrome, in men. Uh, She has stressed that we should try to avoid inappropriate and unnecessary antibiotics, but make use of anti-inflammatories, sometimes alpha blockers, and other medications that may be appropriate for the overlap syndromes that these patients often have. And then really, she stressed a lot about the importance of so-called self-care exercises, physical therapy, trigger point release, those modalities that can really empower the patient to take control over their symptoms and their illness. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.